we were always taught to save, always for a rainy day, but I'm not sure when the rainy day ever come. We just managed to get it into property, probably more than 10 years later than that before the petty dropped. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with property investing mogul and best-selling author Jan Summers. She details her transition from school teacher to become one of the biggest names in Australian property investing. She also shares nuggets of wisdom gained in the 45 years since purchasing her first investment property. After being involved in property investing for over four decades, Summers has proven herself to be a titan in the industry. But her experience has not been limited to one thing. I've done an awful lot, not only in property investing, but uh, I've been a teacher, I've been a barmaid, I've done just about everything in life and uh, I can look back and I hope that the experience has uh, been very helpful to other people. Coming from very humble beginnings, Summers has amassed incredible success over the length of her property journey. She continues to stay busy and enjoys having a daily routine to keep up with a very busy schedule. Well, I'm, I'm a bit of an early bird and I'm also a, a late lark too. I'm usually up between about 5 and 5.30 because my husband goes cycling. Uh, I have a cup of tea and then I always go for a walk. I've all, all been for a walk for about the last 50 years of my life, very early in the morning, sometimes with a dog who only recently passed away but uh, now I do it with my daughter who has a young baby. I do a lot of paperwork when I get back between 7 and 9, pay bills, do things and then I have a late breakfast about 9 o'clock. And after that, it's more paperwork or it might be I've got a renovation to do somewhere, it might be cutting trees, fixing kitchen cupboards, sewing curtains or it might be these days minding the, the two grandsons. Or we go to Europe once a year to do a hiking trip and uh, I might spend a lot of time planning for that. This year we're going to the Pyrenees, so I have a pretty full day, <laughs> not too many spare moments, but in the middle of that I squeeze a light lunch. <laughs> then, about, then about four, I'll, uh, I'll do another hour's exercise, a little bit more intense, maybe a swim, maybe a bike ride at the gym, never on the road. Uh, might be a sw- just anything to, to, to fill in that hour before dinner. And we have an early dinner about 5.30, Watch the news. I'm not sure what for. You can miss it for two two months and catch up on where you left off. Um, and then my favourite shows, whodunits like Agatha Christie, um, something on the History Channel, rugby league in season, cricket. Um, and then I go to bed about 11. Uh, or unless, unless I get stuck on Ancestry.com and then I'm up until about 2 in the morning. With such a hectic lifestyle, which sees her juggling several projects at once, and family life, Summers values the importance of exercise. Not only think better, but you sleep better. Um, I've been the same for 50 years of my life. Uh, I just love getting out to do something and, and enjoy the world for what it is. Summers' humble beginnings stem from an accidental stumbling into property investing and how that has turned out for a whole family. We grew up in, in the Redcliffe area, both my husband and I. In fact, we went to the same high school together. We bought our first property in Kippering, which now, act, incidentally and accidentally, is uh, is only about 100 metres from the new Kippering railway station that's been very popular lately. Uh, but each place that we bought, because my husband shifted around so much, we, we managed to keep, more because we didn't really know what to do with it and we'd been taught to save um, and, uh, and to not squander money and, and to put it into something such as uh, well, something decent. We were always taught to save, always for a rainy day, but I'm not sure when the rainy day ever come. We just managed to get it into property. Wow. Then it was probably more than 10 years later than that before the petty dropped. So as you mentioned, you stumbled into property by accident because you're buying a family home to live in initially? That's right, yes. Stumbled is a good word. 
Born and bred in beautiful Redcliffe, Summers continued to live there with her family throughout her life. We now live on the other side of town in Cleveland because there was a research station here when my husband was doing oceanography and fisheries research. Oh, interesting. So that was the reason that you moved? That was the only reason that we moved and that was the only reason that we acquired properties along the way. Okay. Has your husband always been in the same job? He was always a research scientist, but he had uh, he had a, a strong computing background. He did computing before anyone else knew what a computer was. And we'd often drive around in the car with all of these little uh, pieces of cards in, in the boot that had to be kept in a particular order. And that was back in the late 60s. Uh, but then he adapted that, that skill to computing and uh, analysing uh, fisheries dynamics and, and put it to good use in mathematical modelling of uh, property. Uh, so so we, we made a good team. It's a very interesting correlation. Most people usually map land and map housing, but your husband maps fishing? Yes. Well, there wasn't a lot of difference to counting prawns and, and counting properties. With a background in teaching and mentoring individuals about property, it's not hard to believe that Summers was a teacher before getting into property full-time. I stumbled is another good word to use because that's how I got into teaching. I did um, uh, three years at university. I took a year off because I couldn't think what I would do next. I spent a year in in Europe and travelling overseas before anyone knew what the word was, travelling overseas. And then I came back and I thought, what do you do next? Well, so I did a diploma in education and became a teacher. Uh, and I was always intrigued about the research. I knew how to, to dig out information. That was my strength. And and so once um, I'd finished teaching and we had a young family, I was able to dig out sufficient information on, on property that um, made it work for us. What grade teacher were you? Uh, high school. High school. Between, between 8 and 12. That's a fun stage to be teaching. I had some really very memorable memories when I was back at high school and had some really good teachers back as well. Yes. Well, well, it was good 30 years ago when you could tell someone to sit down and they and they did. But these days they seem to question why they have to sit down. And <laughs> that doesn't, it didn't suit my style of teaching. It was during the 80s when Summer saw the potential in property and spent most of her time buying properties, renovating them as well as having a family that she decided to step back from teaching and focus on the properties that she had underway. I didn't really have time for teaching then. Mm, mm. But I did join, I did do a lot of uh, teaching in the sense that uh, I lectured on on property investment to um, uh, oh, probably two and three times a week for, for many, many years, which I really enjoyed. It took exactly four years after buying her first few properties in Queensland before Summers really saw herself and her husband in property long term. I was in Sydney when I had one of those aha moments that um, we'd gone down there in the early 80s and we had quite a few properties in Brisbane and I, I, we wanted to buy into the Sydney market but I didn't think that we could afford to because at that stage and probably now too, property down there is twice as expensive as is in Brisbane. Mm. And so I thought, well, well, that means we'll probably have to sell two properties in Brisbane in order to buy down in Sydney. But I did have a chat with a real estate agent and and he, he wasn't too interested in me because we had one income. I I was pregnant with our first child and I didn't have a job. Uh, and here I was asking a lot of questions about property. So he was trying to fob me off until he discovered that we did have a lot of property in Queensland and, and he made a very profound statement to me then. He said, lady, with, with what you've got in Queensland, you could have probably buy four properties down here in Sydney. And he explained how using the equity and borrowing the money and I come home and I thought about it and I started looking up some more properties and I thought, no, I, I, it took another few years before... The idea gelled. In fact, it was probably exactly four years. It was 87 by the time we were on a roll and I, and it all fell together. Do you remember how much the properties were in Brisbane compared to Sydney at that point in time? Oh, yes. Yes, for sure. The properties in, um, in Brisbane were around about the 50,000 mark and in Sydney, we're looking at 100,000. 
Wow. So compare that to today, the the average price or the median price in Brisbane is about the 500,000, give or take, but the median price in, in inner Sydney is, is over the million mark now. So I, spe- I suppose we're still relative in value. All that's happened and... Uh, even when I wrote the book, the, pro- the property values were still of that nature. I tell people, look, if you think the book's out of date, just go through and add a zero to everything. Mm. History seems to repeat itself and you've just said it yourself. Brisbane was half the price of Sydney and just in today's dollars and terms, it's still the same thing. That's going back almost, what, 30 years ago? 35 years ago, yes, that's right. Well, even going back to 72 when we bought our first property, that was always the case. We we bought our first property at eleven thousand at that time. Sydney properties were around about the twenty twenty five thousand dollar mark. That's just that's how it has been and it always is. And I guess that's my strength in in property is the longevity that I've been in the industry and I've seen these things happen and come and go. And uh, over almost forty five years of, of since we bought our first property. Although Summers had the intention of keeping every property that they had purchased, it didn't quite work out that way and in the last two years, they sold a few properties to wind down the debt. My husband and I, we're, we're approaching 70 and and it's time to look at um, uh, other things and for, for want of, well, we can't continue having a huge portfolio. My kids keep saying, I can't look after that, mum. Summers believes that it's best to keep people guessing on the exact number of properties in their portfolio, which is likely to be quite impressive. It said to people, look, we have exactly numpty dumpty properties. Some people would say, oh, I'll never get there. And others would say, oh, is that all? Although not always interested in property and certainly not in having property as a career, Summers and her husband were raised on the importance of saving money and having a good work ethic. This has proven to be a wise lesson for them. It just seemed natural that the first thing you did when you got married was that you bought a property, which we did, more because that was the traditional way of doing things. We moved to the other side of town, we bought another property. We moved back to the other side of town, we bought another property. And and this went on for quite some time before we went back and forwards to, to Sydney. We actually never bought a property in Sydney, but I can't say I ever became interested until the mid the mid 80s when I had family and strangely enough with three children at home I had a lot of time to make a lot of phone calls there was no internet then do a lot of homework um, understand the, the tax system as it related to property and understand how good an investment it had been to us in the last 10 years so I never started out with that with our first property with property is a good investment let's get rolling Yeah, I like your story because it details very humble beginnings in which you've just bought properties because it was based on what you were taught. I hope that I can short circuit that that, uh, plan for a lot of people by saying, yes, look, get into your first home because there's too many people who will just hesitate and say, I can't afford it, but but you can. And you've really got to look at um, um, the basics in property and get started straight away. You can't start with a six-bedroom, three-en-suite at house you, you've got to start small yeah. we all started we all started small somewhere i have people who say to me oh look I, I, we've just bought our first home and it's got three bedrooms and one bathroom and and uh it's it's only 10 squares i said well well that's really good because our, our first home was um three really small bedrooms one really small bathroom and it was only 7.4 squares or 74 square meters in in, in the new terminology so we started really really small and and people need to get that idea that if you want to get into the market uh, i don't apologize but sorry yeah you do have to start small absolutely think 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 big think big but start small at the beginning of their property journey summer's strategy quickly changed she recalls an experience that saw herself and her husband lose close to five thousand dollars on what turned out to be a pointless renovation leaving her with no options I already had this buy and keep mentality back then, except that we had been so successful. I thought, well, we've been very successful. I can afford to dabble a little bit and buy a property and renovate it and do it up and then flick it on and make even more money. So we bought a property 
in in 1988, and we paid exactly fifty thousand for it, mm-hmm. and it was it was a dump. It was a dump, but we decided we could renovate it and then on sell it in a short period of time. So we got in and ripped out the carpet and did everything that we could possibly do. I can't recall exactly, but we probably spent three to five thousand, ten percent of the property's value at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking, well, that's watered up to fifty-five. Maybe we can sell it for sixty, sixty-five, and um, that's a good start with with a renovation. So we got the same agent back again, and he walked in and he had a look and he said. Um, uh, you really want to know what it's worth? I said, yeah, I'd like you to sell it for us again. He said, well, I still think I can only get $50,000 for the same price that you paid. I thought, bugger, what have we done all this work for, all this work, and spent all this money, and now it's not worth anything more than what we paid for it. And it probably wasn't. It was it it was started a dump, and it really was always a dump. We probably needed to spend much more money on that to to make it to make it work. Hmm. So we decided to put some tenants in it. We decided to put some tenants in it for the two or three years and um, probably more through to follow my commitment and at least make something work. The market turned and we decided to sell it. And that was about 89, 1989, the market had really, really shot along through the end of 88 and 89. There was a share market crash in 87, followed by a property boom because all the money poured out of shares and into property. And we were lucky to sell it at 86,000. That's not a bad story. But it wasn't because of our skill in renovating. It wasn't because we had um, picked the time of the market. We were very lucky. We weren't experienced in renovating. We shouldn't have had a buy-sell uh, mentality, and we were just lucky that the change in the market got us out of trouble. And from that point on, it's really been a very strong buy-to-keep philosophy. Hmm. So from that experience that you've recounted, it really teaches us that you can put a lot of money into renovating but it won't necessarily increase in value over a short period of time. That's right. And and it also teaches you that you need to identify your skills. At that stage, I was a basic hammer and nails girl. I didn't have a lot of skills in, in knowing how, to, how a kitchen was put together. I do now because I've done a lot of renovations, all with the idea of, of keeping the property and just making it more rentable. But at the time, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, I wasn't... Uh, um, I wasn't skilled enough to know what renovations needed to be done and I really didn't have the um, the backing or the financial backing to say uh, I can buy this and, and be able to flick it on and make 10 or 20 and if I don't, well, I'll just buy another one and make even more money. So it was a good lesson in, in not only identifying your personality but in identifying your skills as well. It sounds great but in reality, you do need to have the skill set to be able to spot those deals. They don't just come out of the blue, right? And, and I think a lot of the, the renovating shows at the moment like the block, we don't see what goes on behind. There's so many skilled tradesmen that are operating behind the scenes, giving advice on what can and can't be done, that what we see is, is just the surface layer of, hey, here's a bathroom, look what they've just done, they've renovated, I can do that. It's really good for inspiring people, but then those inspired people need to go and learn how to do it. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. With any skill or anything you want to master, it really does take years to actually master something like that and lots and lots of practice. For example, I guess being a teacher, it's not like you can just go into the classroom and you'll be the teacher, the best teacher to all those kids. You need to build that up over the years to be able to be a better teacher with experience. I guess it's no different to property investing or property renovations. Yes, I, I became, I, I, I guess you asked me in the beginning, uh, how would I describe myself? And I think probably the best answer in hindsight now is is I was just a jack of all trades. I, I learned a lot about a lot of things. I wasn't necessarily a builder or a renovator or a good financier or not even the best property investor, but I was prepared to have a go and learn a lot of things along the way. 
With a passion for learning new things and getting stuck into the hard work, Summers has been renovating the properties she has purchased since the first view in the 80s. One of them I bought was only a half-finished house and I was able to get in and do some tiling, and which I'd never done in my life before. Oh, um, okay. uh, our, even our own home, we sanded the floor ourselves. Um, and my brother is a, is a builder and he's done a lot of renovations in England. So if I ever got stuck, I'd just ring up and say, hey, look, I want to stick this piece of stainless steel on top of a piece of laminex because someone's put a pot down and it's burned a hole. What glue should I use? So I've always been prepared to ask questions for answers that I, I don't know. And that's really and that's, good. The, and that's the way you learn. It sounds like you're a very curious person because you want to learn and then be able to apply those things that you learn. Oh, look, the ability to learn something and and not assume that you know it all is 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 really what life's about. It's, <laughs> you know, all these all these wars that we have, we think we haven't learned anything really. Summers has accomplished so much in her lifetime, from property investing to learning new skills and renovating those properties to mentoring. She credits the move from teaching to mentoring individuals in the property industry because of the kids she taught. I didn't want to teach kids anymore who didn't want to be there. But I I had a lot of information about property that no one else had back in the late 80s. I had an enormous amount of information. Well, what do I do with it? I wasn't going to teach high school that um, uh, for kids who aren't interested in what I was what I was offering. And so I started out doing a few little seminars in a, in a local real estate agency with about 10 people. And uh, I wasn't really paid anything at all and uh, I just really enjoyed it and I got to sell a few little sets of notes that I had put together. So that was my introduction and then it just caught on like wildfire uh, that all of a sudden I, I had lots of invitations to to speak and uh, and and uh, then I developed a, a more uh, concrete strategy and I was able to research the book that we put together in ninety one ninety two to explain why the strategy had worked. Now digging up all the statistics on property over a hundred years enabled me to say. I know property works, we've done it, but here's the reason why and here's all of the research on shares and property to explain why and how we did it. The conception of Summer's best-selling book was initially stapled notes that she would take to seminars. These were crafted into a manual called Manual for Residential Property Investors, which was about 50 pages. I had a, um, a cousin print it for me, he was in the printing industry. And we had 5,000 printed because it didn't cost very much to, to print 5,000. Before I knew it, within the year, they were all gone. They were all sold. So I, at that point, I, I virtually devoted a whole year to putting together a book. And the book was the first of the, uh, the Building Wealth Through in Investment Property series. So I completed the book, I, I paid for my own editing, I paid for my own uh, printing. In other words, I did, I did the works, but I didn't know anything about marketing books. So I went along to uh, a distributor at Heron, Heron were distributors at the time, and, um, and I said, look, I've got this book, but at that time I'd already been turned down by Penguin and someone else and someone else and someone else. And, and he had one look at it and, and he said, well, yeah, I, he said, if you, if you can get a publicist, then I think we can do this. Well, I did get a publicist who, who introduced me to the world as, as the housewife millionaire, which remained kind of stuck, and uh, did the Ray Martin on the midday show and a few current affairs and it just, it was just like a whirlwind. It just, it absolutely blew me away and just took off because no one had ever explained before how you invest in property. What what's the the bones and of investing in property? How and why does it work? So I had a little formula and a little winner, uh, but I didn't um, set out to write a book and then sell millions of copies. It was just putting all this information down, and then I had to, and and printing it ourselves and researching it ourselves, and then finally. 
um, we put it to market. Wow. So that was the end result. I didn't set out with the idea of putting it to market right from day one. That's not why I wrote it. Although she enjoyed being involved in the seminars and wasn't in it for the money or sale of books, Summers decided to pursue other ventures in 2004. I had um, belonged to a, a skipping organisation that my daughter was very keen on and I decided with my organisational skills that I could organise a world's event, which we did. We had people from about 30 different countries come to the Gold Coast and we had the World Championship skipping on the coast. So I took a year off because I could afford to take a year off and I really enjoyed doing it. And when I stopped enjoying it, uh, it was time to, it was time to stop. Mm. And probably about that time, although we had been involved in renovating properties on a small scale before that, that's when I became much more involved. I'd be the first to go and check out the kitchens and check out the roller doors and and uh, and do a lot ourselves from, from that point on. Wow. That became my new interest then. I, I liked being hands-on. The skipping was obviously very fun to do as well with your children. Well, it was. It was kind of an achievement to, to run a very successful world competition. Not that anyone has really heard of a skipping competition, but people who skip will know what I'm talking about. I wanted to find out next. What are you most excited about currently? It's a complete turnaround. Now our family has grown up and I hope that some of the information that we've learned along the way has rubbed off. And clearly it has because they've all been able to buy property. So I'm very keen to pass on even more information to to help them. Um, some, one of our kids is doing a, a renovation so I can help them know where the kitchen benches and walls are and knockout walls, fix drainage problems. Um, help them to work out the right way to borrow money. I help draw up the plans for my daughter's house. Uh, so I think it, it, it's been time to help the family. I think I've helped a lot of people along the way. And now that my kids are all old enough and I think they've got the, the um, property investment message well and truly, I can channel a little bit more time back into them. Mm, that's and, 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 of course, and of course, the two grandsons that have appeared in the last year. <laughs> How old are your grandsons? Only uh, three months and uh, 14 months. Although a lot of Summers and her husband's lives have been based around property, which has blessed them in many more ways than one, they have no intention of pushing their property portfolio and business onto their children in the future. I think they all have their own careers. It's something that we've been very strong on. It's not like the farmer who hopes that the son will become the farmer and so on ad infinitum. Uh, I had a special interest in, in property and renovations and my husband had a special interest in in computing, but it's not something we've ever said, hey, look, here's, here's the six inches deep of um, the manual that um, goes with the computing software program. Um, you can take that over if you want. I, they're interested, but they're not interested in this business. And I think it's really important to allow children to develop their own set of skills and channel their energy into what they really want, not what mum and dad want. So I've never pushed in that direction. I really like your philosophy. If every teacher taught that or every parent could feel that way towards their kids, I think the world would be a better place. The last thing we need is pushy parents. I know what you mean. My parents are extremely supportive um, but um, not never pushy. Coming up after the break, we hear about how Summers changed the perspective on the importance of having money when building up your portfolio. We had a lot of equity and the the idea of borrowing was probably instilled from the family who thought that borrowing money for anything, anything was a big no-no. Um, so it, it, it took that real estate agent back in Sydney back in 1983 to, to set a train of thought in, in my mind. We learn about her reasonably modest lifestyle has allowed her to continue investing and not worry so much about debt. Never ever borrow for cars, TVs, credit cards. I'm probably, I don't make the banks a lot of money at all through my credit card. I pay mine off well before the due date. I never pay interest on credit cards except when 
occasionally I've forgotten or it's been an oversight. But that's where banks make their money. How she created her own software and subsequently a community of tens of thousands of investors who virtually interact and mentor one another. just became a monster that was um, uh, almost unmanageable because of the, the number of people on there and, and to be fair to them without resorting to advertising dollars which I'm sure we could have if we'd approached some big banks and I didn't want to go down that route. Uh, because we've always uh, we've always retained our credibility by not um, supporting anyone in in particular. And that's up next. I'm Tyrone Sharp, and you're listening to Property Investory. At the beginning of her property investing journey, Summer struggled with the idea that you need a lot of money in order for you to make more money. She soon discovered this was not entirely the case. Even when we had a few properties, and we were t- absolutely cash strapped because not only did we have principal and interest loans, they were principal and interest loans taken over 10 years, not 30 years. That was the bank's philosophy back then. They wanted their money back ASAP. And so we were busy trying to pay off properties at the rate of knots. We never had any money. We never had any cash. We had a lot of equity. And the the idea of borrowing was probably instilled from the family who thought that borrowing money for anything, anything was a big no-no. Um, so it, it, it took that real estate agent back in Sydney back in 1983 to to set a train of thought in, in my mind and but it took a few more years to really bite the bullet to say we can borrow money and now I've got the hang of it, I'm going to borrow a lot of money. It's so interesting because I know my personal mindset is that I still get stuck on saying, okay, I've got to pay things off but you're exactly right. You've got to actually let the property value and equity increase to be able to borrow against that so that you can buy more property. That's right and the worst thing you can do is to, to borrow, to, to buy consumer goods, the, the cars and the boats and the big TVs. So we, we need to be careful that, yes, borrowing money is a good thing and it's okay to buy something that is going to appreciate in value. But cars and boats and TVs, they're all going to depreciate. And in, in 10 years, you've got to ask yourself, like, what have I got to show for what I've just borrowed? And in most cases, you've got nothing to show and you've still got a big debt. <laughs> and Unless it's scary. Unless you bought property, because most people just borrow frivolously to support a lifestyle. I hear there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of equity in property as well, but they borrow against that property to be able to live a lifestyle. What are your thoughts on that? Well, they're, they're not alone. I'd say, very conservatively, half the world is is about supporting a lifestyle, and to me, I have very simple tastes, but. I don't need to to have a flashy car. My car is a 12-year-old Beamer that I bought even secondhand and I don't need the latest car. Uh, so borrowing to buy money for frivolous things might show you off as the wealthiest person right now, but you're not. Underneath, underneath you're not. So the appearance of wealth is doesn't, necessarily follow that you are wealthy. Summer's advice for investors starting out is to rethink debt. This change in mindset will ensure that they not only become successful but do so without raking up huge debt in the process. Never ever borrow for cars, TVs, credit cards. I'm probably, I don't make the banks a lot of money at all through my credit card. I pay mine off well before the due date. I never pay interest on credit cards except when occasionally I've forgotten or it's been an oversight. But that's where banks make their money. That's where retail stores make their money on credit cards that, that go over because people are too busy trying to support that that lifestyle. And you've got to change that that strategy that, okay, you don't have to, to go to St Vinnie's like I did for a long time. You don't have to wear secondhand things and buy secondhand clothes. But, but you do need to have a mindset that you can't continue to borrow beyond your means unless of course you're buying for an appreciating asset and then you're burying the, you're just burying the money into 
a loan. Actually, having a loan is a great way to save money because it forces you to put money into it only if you've got something to show for what you have at the end of that time, like a property. Hmm. You mentioned that when you were buying property back then, you're always cash strapped. How did you manage that? Well, I had, uh, it comes back to I had very simple tastes and we did borrow a lot of money. In the 80s, I was probably buying four or five properties a year, sometimes even every few months. And and to borrow these enormous amounts of money with a principal and interest loan was it was exorbitant. But the key to it came when um, I had spent the time to talk to a lot of lenders. They were, I, I guess, I didn't exactly have a mentor, but I learned a lot from making a lot of phone calls, which you can do when you're a, do at, a, a stay-at-home mum. I made a lot of phone calls and I finally discovered what an interest-only loan was. Not not an interest-free, it's an interest-only where you only pay the interest. And immediately, if you're only paying the interest on a, say, for simple simpleness, uh, say a $500,000 loan today, if you're only paying the interest of 5%, you're paying $25,000 in interest. Now, if that was a principal and interest loan, you'd probably have to pay $50,000 a year. So converting from all our loans from principal and interest to interest only made a huge difference to that cash flow. I started out skimping and saving and I thought we cannot go on like this forever. It was still viable. But this made a huge difference in in discovering what interest-only loans, which came about at the end of the 80s um, with the deregulation of the the financial market. Summers recalls the harsh realities of the principal and interest loan that was compulsory in the late 70s and early 80s, essentially when she started her property career. Back then, there were three things that made you cash poor. When we were buying, you not only had to take a principal and interest loan, it was usually over the shortest term possible of about 10 years. And not only that, you needed to have about a 25% cash deposit for that next house. You had a, a, a principal and interest loan, that, so your payback was, was enormous. You needed to save for a deposit for the next property at the same time or or so we we thought you did mm. and uh, it really made a, a huge impact in switching to interest only uh, and not having to save a deposit in the late 80s with the deregulation of the market. What was the interest rate back then? It started out at a, at a, at a normal rate which was about 7 or 8% and with um, the collapse of the share market in 87 and uh, property investment took off in about 88, 89. That's when property virtually doubled in value for, from 50 to 100,000. Uh, there was probably a lot of cowboys in the industry who said, well, now we can borrow zillions and, and uh, they poured it into developments and it went on and on and on and Keating came in and said, well, this, is, this has got to stop. Mm. And interest rates went to about 20%. Yeah, I remember hearing that. My parents always said it was very expensive back then. And that's one of the reasons I always fix interest rates at the moment because we lived through that, but we lived through it with fixed rate loans. And so I was never afraid that we were going to be blown out the back door because I made sure that um, our backside was covered. With decades of experience and lots of wisdom to share, Summers delves into the specific strategies and the right mindset tools which will see investors capitalizing on purchases. Investors often make the mistake of thinking this business is complicated and something that needs a university degree to interpret. Summers points out that it's actually very simple. It's not like uh, trying investing in the share market and um, guessing derivatives. It's, it's really simple. It's about borrowing money, buying a property and keeping it for the long term. And, and it's... It's so simple that we miss it. So it's, I guess, to explain just a little bit on that, it's borrowing money with interest only because that's going to reduce your uh, your payback amount with, rather than a, a P&I. I fix the rate to, to keep me um, uh, able to sleep at night and you use the equity in your own house to be able to borrow the whole lot. You don't need a deposit anymore for a, for a property. And then when you buy a property, 
I'd suggest you buy median residential price because that's the, the sort of property everyone wants to buy in the first homeowner's market. It's the kind of property that everyone wants to rent and you make sure that it's in an area with a reasonably good infrastructure, not, not a mining town. And then the third thing is you keep it for the long term. You can renovate if you want, but don't be like we did and renovate to sell and make a quick quid. Don't sell and you'll never have to worry about timing because otherwise, if you're buying a property to sell, timing is really important. What's more important is time, not timing. And so that's the strategy. It's it's simple. Borrow and buy and keep. Don't worry about the timing keep it for the long term. Investors often struggle with wanting the best results within a short amount of time. But if you apply the right strategies and let them play out, you'll see better results that ensure a more successful property journey in the long term. One of these strategies is to add value to a property by renovating. I don't do major stuff. I don't um, I don't do anything like uh, uh, pull out walls and reconfigure the whole house. That can be very expensive mm. and it doesn't necessarily add a lot of dollars. I do things like I might take off all of the cupboards from the from the kitchen front and if there's any marks on the laminate, I have a little trick where I'll, I have a, a tradesman who supplies me with stainless steel cutouts and I stick it on to cover up all of the, the bits. So the kitchen – and by the time you've replaced the catches – it finishes up looking like new. Oh. I might get someone to paint it. I rarely paint. I'm good at painting fences but not houses. <laughs> uh, and uh, replace the carpet. And if you've only got a little place to start with that's uh, just a three-bedroom, one or two bathroom at the most, it doesn't take long. What I can't get done in a week just doesn't get done. So it's almost back to new. And then I might spend two days in the yard getting rid of the trees, trimming it, um, it's it doesn't take long, but any more than a week and you're wasting your time and wasting your money. Are you doing these renovations yourself or are you getting tradespeople to help you? A little bit of both. Uh, I definitely get people in to do the, the, the painting and replace the carpet. I'm not into that. Mm, yes. <laughs> or I might be a little bit selective and only replace the carpet in a couple of rooms. Um, but if it's anything to do with... Um, uh, just fixing up kitchen or replacing taps and things in the bathroom, then I can do that. Mm. Uh, I'm very good at fixing up vanities, just lo- uh, trim the whole lot with um, with aluminium trim to hold it all together. I've, I've turned some pretty dilapidated chipboard into uh, something that will hold together at least for another five or six years. So it's delaying the inevitable. Yeah. If you can delay putting in a new kitchen for another 10 years, then and make it respectable and clean, then that's that's a good renovation. Hmm. So the renovation isn't about restructuring and doing a lot of things to the house. It's all about touching up and making it presentable. It is cos making it cosmetic and clean. Although Summers likes to take on projects that don't require too many major changes, the perception of a dump is in the eye of the beholder. Although these kinds of projects can create major problems along the way, some people do love that. Now, if I looked at an old Queenslander and the, the weatherboard is completely um, rotten on the outside and it badly needs a paint, that's more, that's that's quite major. And, it, and it's extremely expensive. So I weigh up in my own mind, how much is that going to need? And while old Queenslanders are great to, um, to live in, and they've got great character about them. They don't necessarily make the greatest investment because of the, the maintenance issue. But if you can do the maintenance yourself, well, that's that's fine. Having had the experience of publishing her own property books, Summers values the importance of gaining knowledge from other successful investors as well. This helped her immensely in her beginning stages of her career. Back in the 80s when I was learning a lot and, and learning about spending habits. I was a I was a great fan of, of Noah Whitaker. I know he's he's now steered into investment planning, but he has a very great philosophy on um, why some people do become wealthy and others don't and, and he thinks it's back down towards their own spending habits. And I did a a, a conference with him 
oh, in the early 90s, I think he had a couple of books out, I had a couple of books out, and I had a discussion with him um, at this conference where we were both guest speakers. And, and he said, for many people, the best investment that they could possibly make is a concrete box buried in the backyard where you can only put your money in through a little slot, but you can't get it out easily. I thought, oh, that's a strange thing to say. He's just written a book on, on investing, but he says the biggest problem that people have is that they get their mitts on money and it's at their fingertips and it's a recipe for disaster because they'll always spend what they have. But that's also why property is so good because it forces you to contribute to a loan and that's money that you probably would have frittered away. So... I still think getting back to basics, I think sometimes the property investment will look after itself. I could probably summarise what to do in in the borrow, buy and keep as a formula, but developing some some good money habits is very good. And I couldn't go past Noel Whitaker's book back then for making money made simple. That sounds like a good book. I haven't read it myself, but I'll definitely check it out. So, it's a very interesting philosophy. It's probably still in print but but the ideas have, have never changed. A personal habit that has contributed to summer success is a good sense of monetary value. This same habit that she was raised with has been passed on to her own children which she believes will ultimately make them successful in whatever they do. Of later years, I've probably been able to stick my neck out uh, but I make sure that everything I do is covered. Um, that's I'm willing to have a go and, and, and I'm willing to learn. I think that's that's really important. But I think it's also important that I have quite simple tastes. I don't buy extravagant cars, clothes, jewellery, anything. I mean, we could afford a Rolls Royce. We could eat at upmarket restaurants every night. But I'm quite happy with my old secondhand car and I have steak and chips probably once a fortnight at the local pub and but it doesn't mean that you have to go without to buy investment property. It just means you have to be very careful in managing your money and, and to not be extravagant. Although she's no longer holding seminars and mentoring individuals on property investing, Summer's published books hold many key tips and tricks to being successful in the industry. The books are still through bookstores, but visiting our, our website at www.summersoft, that's S-O-M-E-R-S-O-F-T.com.au, if they're interested in the software. I mean, I've talked about property um, being uh, affordable, borrow, buy and keep, and, and the software shows people how a, a um, $500,000 property might only cost $50 a week, which is the equivalent of um, a couple of trips to McDonald's through the week. The popular demand of Summers brought on the need for her to create Summersoft, a software that has proven very useful for property investors. Well, okay, it started out as an Excel spreadsheet, which I put together to say, I put it together in the 80s to say, well, why can... Um, why this property is costing me so little now? And I put this spreadsheet to, together to understand the difference between a principal and interest and an interest-only loan, primarily. And I could work out that if I had a P&I loan, it was going to cost me $100 a week, or if it was uh, just an interest-only, it was going to cost me $50 a week. So the template is is there as an Excel spreadsheet. And of course, my husband was a computing programmer. I, I said to him, I said, well... You can, you can write this in a piece of software, can't you? And uh, over several years, he did. And over many years, it, he's added to it and added to it. So it enables people to, to put, in a, put in a property for, say, 500000 or whatever it is. Um, it works out what all the stamp duty and all your purchase costs are, et cetera, et cetera. You can put the rent in. You can put what your wages are. Um, it does a lot of general... Uh, guesswork on what the depreciations will be for things in the property and the bottom line tells you hey this property is going to cost you $50 a week now if I buy a different property one that's perhaps new and might get some more tax deductions how much will that cost me and so it's very good for comparing properties along the way and understanding how it works. Should I buy a unit? Should I buy uh, an old house? Should I buy a new house? Um, and you can put in those variables and, and get an answer that um, uh, 
is quite a definitive answer because it's there in dollars and cents, not this might be better and that might be better. A forum was introduced to allow fellow investors to interact and help each other out. So, rather than have Summers as a mentor in the background, they're virtually supporting each other. It started out when we started getting hundreds of phone calls a day on should I buy this or should I buy that and uh, what's the best and I didn't really want to get into the consulting sides of things. It was, um, uh, I think you need to know too much about a person's situation before you can start giving that kind of advice and I didn't really want to get into the into the advice side. So we set up a forum so that like-minded investors could talk to each other about this, these kinds of things. Now, what if I do this or should I buy here or should I buy in a mining town or what do you think and what do you think? And so it attracted a lot of people that could um, uh, discuss things with uh, each other. He also created a fantastic community which has grown into thousands and thousands of members over the years. Uh, yes, l- literally thousands and thousands of members on that Summersoft forum, yeah. which which unfortunately has come to an end because because there was because it was so popular and tens and tens of thousands. Um, we needed to have um, different and better software, and it became Property Chat that um, Simon is now looking looking after for us. So that basically outgrew, and I think from what it sounded like for you. It just became unmanageable. It just became a, a monster that was um, uh, almost unmanageable because of the, the number of people on there. And, and to be fair to them, without resorting to advertising dollars, which I'm sure we could have if we'd approached some big banks. And mm. I didn't want to go down that route uh, because we've always uh, we've always retained our credibility by not um, supporting anyone in in particular. Yeah, yeah, and and so that was a, a natural uh, end to to the forum because we didn't want it to be um, a- advertorial. Thank you to Jan Summers, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. Tell me, is your cash or equity currently earning 1 to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What have I said to you that you can do better and get a rate of 15 to 25% per annum? To find out more, register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest and receive 15 to 25% per annum on their money for a short six-month period. Register interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com.